subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's silly, Jerry. Hello, and thank you for listening to Tripod Talk Radio. Today is Sunday, May 8, 2011, and we'll be addressing a topic few ever wish to discuss, but one that can benefit all pet lovers. Joining us is Dr. Sheila Kurt from Home at Last Pet Hospice and Euthanasia in Tucson, Arizona. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Kurt. Thank you very much for having me, Jim. It's a wonderful resource, this Tripod's website that you have. Well, thank you. We we think what you do is is really great too, which is why we we want more people to know about your service. And um, if you can, if we can start, um, can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself and and why you started a home at last and and what exactly it is? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, and I received my veterinary degree from Michigan State University in 1995. So I've been in practice now for about 16 years. Um, I owned a full-service practice for about seven years in my hometown of Jackson, Michigan. Then, basically, when I could no longer deal with the sun deprivation, I sold the practice to move to Tucson in 2008, where the weather is perfect every day. Um, After arriving here, I worked as an associate veterinarian for a couple years, and then just last July started Home at Last, which is a mobile veterinary practice providing end-of-life care for dogs and cats in the comfort of their homes. Basically, I started Home at Last to make the end of a pet's life easier and less traumatic for the pet, but also, and just as importantly, for the people who love the pet. Um, it's, I saw over and over how difficult it was for people in kind of the cold clinical setting of a veterinary hospital and decided there had to be a better way. Um, and everything about this practice has just been super rewarding. Uh, I feel like I'm really finally making a huge positive impact in people's lives. Uh, throughout my career as a veterinarian, I've always known that I've been helping the pets, but now I really feel like I'm making a difference to people as well. Well, we think it's a a wonderful service. Having only been through this once with our first dog, Jerry, um, we learned that the more you know ahead of time, the easier it can be. You know, it's never easy, but if you can prepare yourself a bit, um, it is a a bit easier. So with that in mind, um, in terms of veterinary hospice care or at-home pet hospice, what are people's options when it comes to having a professional such as yourself help them through the last stages of their pet's life? 
Well, in veterinary medicine, hospice care generally refers to the care provided to a pet within weeks to months of its death, typically within the pet's home as opposed to um, freestanding structures where the pets would go. Um, so it, a one important difference is between human hospice and veterinary hospice is that um, for pets um, typically in the home uh, seems to be the best way to care for them. Um, hospice involves a personalized plan for care that includes palliative treatment of the pet's symptoms such as pain as well as support for the members of the pet's family as they prepare for the imminent death of the pet. Uh, it enables the pet and its family to share some quality time together. It's based on the same principles as human hospice, but differs in that euthanasia, of course, is an available and widely accepted alternative for our pets uh, when it gets too difficult for them. Um, I think the definition of hospice will continue to evolve as more veterinary professionals embrace this type of practice. And... Unfortunately, um, uh, as I alluded to, not a whole lot of uh, hospice-specific practices are available right now. Um, so because it's a relatively new field, if someone is looking for a pet hospice provider, uh, the first thing I would recommend is to just ask their veterinarian for a referral. Um, many veterinarians will be available of um, hospice specific practices in their area, if the veterinarian doesn't provide the service and doesn't know anybody that does, there are some national organizations as well that can be good resources. Um, and I, I can name a couple of them. One is the Nikki Hospice Fund Foundation for Pets. Um, they have a website. Um, another one is the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. And both of these come up very easily when you do a web search. So those would be good resources um, for people looking for hospice care. Thank you. Um, can you repeat those organization names again? Yes. Um, one is called the NIKI, N-I-K-K-I, Hospice okay. Foundation for Pets. Okay. And the second the second one is the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care. That is so helpful. No, thank you. We'll we'll definitely be putting some links in our uh blog post about you Great. and also um put them on our resources page because I, I didn't know that they existed. So thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Um now, you know, we the big question that, that we hear a lot at, at tripods is um how do how do we know when it's time for our final goodbyes? Um, mm -hmm. How how do we know we're not doing it too soon or, or waiting too long? Um, what are some um, what are some thoughts you have about that? Well, I think the biggest thing to remember is that our pets have no aspirations for longevity. They don't care if they live one more year or one more day because they're always in the moment. I think it's helpful that we remember this as we face decisions about how to care for our pet in their final days. Um, also, we are completely responsible for them, but yet they don't hold us responsible. So try not to get caught up in guilt as your pet is not conscious of the decisions that you're making and, and what you're thinking about. And then trust your instincts. Uh, you love your pet. People love their pets very much, and they know 
their pets better than anyone else. Um, for example, when I'm asked to do a quality of life evaluation on a pet, that's one of the services I provide, I usually find that clients need me less than they believe they do. Generally, they've come to the same conclusions as I have, but they're just looking for that reassurance, uh, which I'm totally happy to provide. But my point is that people really do know and love their pets very well, and they tend to automatically make very good decisions in their best interests. So how do we know it's time to say goodbye is a huge question. Um, I cover this topic extensively on the news page of my website. Uh, there are a variety of things to consider. But I think the one question that sums it up best is, if I were my pet, would I be happy living the life he or she is living right now? Then trust your first answer, don't make excuses, and let go of the guilt that you may be feeling associated with that. Good advice. That, that's available at euthanasiatucson.com. Is that correct? Euthanasiatucson.com or homeatlasttucson.com. Okay. Um, and you you mentioned um, preparing for this on, on, for the human side. Are there any you know logistical tips or emotion, emotional decisions that people should prepare for to make the passing easier? Well, I I think the um the big thing again is just trusting your instincts and knowing that the pets just want to be happy right now. Um and I I think that people really get wrapped up in a cycle of guilt. Um you know, is it time? No, I can't do it. And of course, they don't want to they don't want to lose their pet. Um and, and they want to do the right thing for their pet. And so there's very much a back and forth. And just understand that's a very normal process, and we all go through it. Um, and not to um, um, not to second-guess yourself, I think. I think, again, that my best advice that I've been giving people is just to really trust what you feel um, because I think people make good decisions where their pets are involved. Back to deciding what, you know, when the time is right, we actually have someone in our Tripods chat room right now who asked, what's involved in a quality of life evaluation? Are there uh, a few key factors that you could address there? Um, yes. Um, um, a quality of life evaluation is um, I, when I go to a home and um, evaluate a pet, uh, it includes, of course, a full physical examination. Um, and it also includes evaluating the pet moving around the house and visiting with the people and interacting with the pet. Um, and I generally do this before the full physical exam um, because I, I don't want to stress the pet out by having it be poked and prodded. Um, um, so I, I kind of do all those things and take it all in, and I ask people some very important questions, which um, are available on the website as well. But some, some very basic questions are, does the pet eat and drink willingly um, and without vomiting or, or diarrhea? Um, is he or she able to eliminate on their own in an appropriate area without soiling themselves? Um, does the pet still greet me? Um, does the pet seek out attention and interact with family members? Um, is there normal grooming behavior that's still going on? 
Um, is the pet aware of and responding appropriately to his or her surroundings? Uh, has the pet been diagnosed by a veterinarian with a terminal condition? Um, and there are all um, sorts of, of um, different reasons why people seek out end-of-life care. Um, sometimes it's it's because they simply can't get the pet to a veterinarian because maybe there isn't a definitive diagnosis uh, because it's been so difficult for so long to even get the pet to get into a car, and that's where, of course, the mobile aspect of the practice uh, comes in. But um, some other questions that, that um, people may not necessarily think of is um, does providing the necessary level of care for the pet diminish your own quality of life to a point where you actually begin to resent the pet. I've seen this happen where pets are really requiring intense, intense levels of care which people are very willing to provide, but then, you know, there comes a time where it, it affects other things as well. And that isn't necessarily the most important consideration, but it's at least a consideration when you're trying to evaluate overall quality of life. I like to include people as being at least as important as the pets in these equations. That's that's definitely something that we've encountered with some of our members. And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people feel um, a lot of guilt after they let their pet go um, because they feel somewhat relieved that it's, mm-hmm. it's over. And um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, such an intense level of care that they're giving. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Especially when, it, you know, when it comes to something like cancer, I mean, geez, you know, that's it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And when it, when they're gone and, and you don't have that routine anymore, it's just like, oh, my gosh, now what? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I love what you do because um, when we let go of Jerry, when we were thinking about it, we were traveling and we were going cross-country and we were in the middle of the wilderness and we had nobody to turn to. Um, so, it, God, it would have been so great to have, have found somebody like you at, at that point. Um, we've heard some, some real, really sad stories about when people have to make that trip to the vet's office. Um, so if somebody um, has the option of, of doing at-home hospice and euthanasia, um, what are some things that um, they should consider um, when, when they're looking at a service like yours? Well, I, I think few people would disagree that it's much better and easier on everyone involved to have a pet euthanized in the comfort of their own home as opposed to a veterinary office. Um, the biggest considerations um, w- would be some of the following. First of all, is the service available in your area? Uh, if there's not a dedicated mobile end-of-life practice in your area, will your regular veterinarian come to your home? Uh, you'll want to make sure you ask them this well ahead of time. Uh, this is my main focus, so I'm usually available on short notice, but uh, if your regular veterinarian does agree to come to your home, it might be difficult for he or she to get away from the office without a good deal of advanced scheduling. Uh, another consideration would be how will the procedure be performed? What are your expectations? Um, do you want to hold your pet during the process? Um, is the provider comfortable with this? Um, sometimes veterinarians um, will bring other staff members 
to help them uh, with the process and how is this going to affect the intimacy of the process. Um, if you don't want to witness the process of the euthanasia, uh, but you still want it done in your home, for example, um, you also will want to ask the provider um, if he or she needs your help um, and making sure that you're not going to be required to be there with the pet if you don't want to be, because um, there, there's just a whole spectrum of, of feelings about how the process um, is going to work best for an individual. Um, cost is another consideration, of course. Um, typically, it is going to be um, more expensive to have a veterinary professional come to your home, of course, than it's going to be to go into an office. Um, and then aftercare arrangements. Uh, will you be burying your pet's remains at home? Um, if so, be sure to check if there are any local statutes regarding home burial. Um, if not, um, will the service provider doing the euthanasia handle cremation arrangements for you, uh, such as transport to an appropriate facility, or are you going to have to make these arrangements on your own? Those are definitely things you're going to want uh, to ask and, and make sure of ahead of time so you're not just on the spot um, when the time comes. And um, what about the, the technical aspect? Um, we uh, we had some uh, members um, having a discussion recently about um, sedating the animal mm -hmm. beforehand. Um, mm -hmm. Is that is that something that you recommend? Absolutely, without a doubt. I think it's the most important thing that we can do before euthanasia. Um, the the sedation and, and there are a variety of different types of sedation, but uh, the one that I use involves giving a single injection under the skin so the pet feels nothing more uncomfortable than a vaccination would be. Uh, and that injection will put them into a state of complete anesthesia within about five minutes. Um, and so the pet truly can relax and go into an anesthetic state in the owner's arms. Then I think there, it's important because there's no awareness of the intravenous injection the euthanasia solution must be in the vein. And so that requires maintaining a vein. It requires the pet to be still. If the pet's not sedated um, and, and they move, then there can be difficulties associated with that if some of the medicine gets out of the vein. Um, and it just makes the process much more easy if, if they're already so relaxed that they're not even aware of that. So I would not do it any other way. I would absolutely not even consider performing a euthanasia without sedation ahead of time. And and what about uh, a catheter? Um, we were given that option, and, and mm -hmm. we went with it. But um, mm -hmm. can you tell me what the advantages are? Because I know some people haven't um, been told that. Well, the the advantages of a catheter are that you have a port into the vein and it, it's there and if, if it's placed correctly, there's no chance that the vein's going to be lost. Um, personally, though, because I use sedation ahead of time, they're already completely anesthetized. Um, I don't find a need to use a catheter because it's I can give them a single injection with a needle to give the euthanasia solution, or I can give them a single injection with a catheter, and, and in my mind, it really doesn't make any difference. If the animal is not moving and not aware, there isn't any chance. Uh, there's no more chance 
um, not using a catheter than using a catheter that there's going to be a problem with maintaining the vein. So if the animal is not sedated ahead of time, then absolutely I would recommend using a catheter. Um, but then you still have the pet who needs to be restrained to have the catheter placed, which is much more difficult than having just a quick subcutaneous injection given where there's no requirement for the pet to necessarily be still. It doesn't matter because it's just going under the skin. That is so good to know. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, this is this is really a healthy discussion. I think anyone facing end-of-life decisions for their pet needs to have. I know what helped me, what saved me from a number of surprises going through it the first time was understanding the logistics. So I, I presume you go over all the steps and the complications that can possibly occur with your patients so they understand what to expect? Absolutely. Um, typically, I'm I'm at a home when I'm providing um, just a euthanasia only for up to an hour or even longer. Um, in in terms of having a conversation with the people and meeting the pet and making sure everyone's comfortable, um, and and if they have any specific requests about where they want it to be done, um, so. Yes, that is all covered ahead of time so there are no surprises because I really want to leave the home um with the people you know they're 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 going to be sad and grief-stricken of course because they've lost their pet but I don't want there to be any other regrets other than that so that everything's clear and out in the open ahead of time. Along these lines do do you and services like yours um coordinate um for lack of a better word, disposal or, or transport of the body and uh, cremations and, and coordinating things like that. Um, I do with with my service. Yes, with home with home at last. Um, there is a uh, pet cemetery here in Tucson, which I work with very closely, and I basically am the transport from the home to the pet cemetery and then the pet cemetery handles the specific details of the cremation but those questions are all asked ahead of time um, and I always know ahead of time uh, what people are thinking in terms of taking care of the remains so um, absolutely I think that's a very important part of the service um, some people want nothing to do with the deceased pet's remains uh, after the pet is gone, and I, they turn that completely over to me. But for other people, it's a very important part of the process to transport the remains on their own and set up that appointment and and follow through with the entire process. And so, again, it's just knowing what works best for you personally, and uh, um, I can follow through on, on whatever... A uh, combination of, of things are involved to, to make people feel at peace with the process. That's great. I think it really is important um, having gone through it. And in researching it beforehand, I heard nightmares about people who would consider at-home euthanasia where the vet left and they were stuck with, you know, a body of their dog that they didn't know mm. what to do with. So these mm. things, knowing ahead of time, are definitely important. And other surprises that I was saved from, you know, we did it at a vet's office, but it was outside on the grass, and I wanted to, you know, finish the deed and, and carry Jerry to his final resting place, which, you know, is, as 
sad as it may sound to some people, might be in a freezer for a couple of days before a crematory can go there. So are there any other kind of, um, for lack of a better word, morbid surprises people might not want to hear but should know about, like the type of bag uh, a dog might be put in at their end? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a very good question. Um, um, a, a lot of times um, people in veterinary offices particularly um, aren't aware of what happens to the bodies, and, and basically they are um, they need to be stored in a freezer. Um, they are wrapped in plastic cadaver bags, and that is kind of a very morbid thing to consider. Um, with at-home euthanasia services, with mine, I can speak for, of course, personally, um, and I, I would assume other people that provide these services are tuned into, um, you know, just the, this very delicate topic of, of how we handle the bodies after they're gone. Um, so I um, I explain to people what's going to happen. I'm, we're very fortunate in Tucson that the pet cemetery of Tucson is here, and um, the cremation is done right there on site. So when I transport the pet, um, it never goes anywhere else. There's never another secondary provider that comes and picks the pet up, which is the case many times through veterinary offices. Um, and when I transport a pet, um, they I, I wrap the I. I avoid using plastic cadaver bags at all costs. Um, and once they get to the pet cemetery, um, they are not wrapped in plastic bags either. There are caskets there that they are placed in. Um, so those things are very important just in terms of respecting the the pet um, and the whole process after, after they're gone. Um, but you are correct in that it's not that way everywhere and so those are very important questions to ask um what exactly is going to happen to my pet um before they are cremated and where exactly will the cremation take place and uh cremations where where people are requesting the cremains back um when you get your pet's cremains back i think there is an assumption that um they will be cremated individually, but I have um, personally come across some, some encountered some horror stories where um, you're making an assumption that it's an individual cremation, but the reality is that several pets are cremated in a chamber at once, and they are simply labeled, identified where they were, and their individual um, piles of cremains are then returned to the respective owners, but you certainly need to ask, you know, wonder about, well, isn't there some intermingling in there? So um, those, I, I, I am aware of those very um, same situations and um, have have done the work and the research to make sure that's, that's not the case with the service I'm using and I'm able to really um, let people know what's going to actually happen to their pets. Well, we, we have just a few minutes left mm -hmm. and um, I just... I wanted to wrap this up by asking you, um, how do we know that we, we made the right decision? Um, how do we know if, if the time was right to, to say goodbye? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think this goes back to trusting your instincts and, and letting go of guilt. Uh, one of the biggest advantages of using a service like Home at Last is that it, 
in my experience, um, there rarely is that sort of second guessing, did I do the right thing? Uh, because enough time has been spent addressing concerns, answering questions, and really honoring the pet's life um, so that people are comfortable with the decision ahead of time. I think it all, it, it comes down to spending an appropriate amount of time asking the questions and doing the research and setting everything up um, so that you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, especially, and then especially if the euthanasia process can be performed to a client's specifications, such as under a favorite tree or on a favorite bed, they're still grief-stricken at the loss of the pet, and off, but, but oftentimes it's actually accompanied by a sense of relief. And I don't think that that relief is wrong to feel. I think it's relief that the pet is now at peace and it then allows the client to move through the grieving process. So, I mean, I, I think it's really okay to feel that relief and not feel guilty about it because um, you love your pets, people love their pets, and the last thing we want to do as pet owners is to um, harm our pet. And I think that keeping that in mind will provide some comfort that you have indeed done the right thing. You did everything you could um, to make this happen as peacefully as it could. Um, if, if somebody's still having difficulty um, and needs some additional support, there are some resources. Um, usually many many humane societies have uh, pet loss support hotlines, and there are also uh, pet loss support groups available in many communities. And then um, those same national organizations that I mentioned earlier in the show um, also provide um, resources such as pet loss support hotlines. So there's a huge network out there um, if people are having a, a difficult time and, and really do feel like they 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 need some help processing everything um, that they can contact. That's great, thank you. We'll um, post those links in the coping with loss discussion forum and wanted to, at tripods.com and link to your website as well. And wanted to thank you for your time and uh, let people know that uh, they can find out more at tripods.com. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.